Good morning. If you keep up with opera, you might know the name Puccini, considered to be one of the greatest operatic composers of all time. Lived back in the late 1800s to early 1900s. Unfortunately, he was stricken with cancer as he began work on what some believe to be his greatest composition of all time, a piece called Turandot. He went to Brussels in 1924 to have surgery, and unfortunately he died there. But his students refused to let his work die with him. And so they finished his epic Turandot, and it premiered in Milan just a couple of years later. And under the direction of one of Puccini's prized students, a man by the name of Arturo Toscanani, he conducted the full opera during this premiere in Milan. And when it came to the point in the opera where, where Puccini passed away, Toscanini stopped the whole production. He turned to the crowd with tears streaming down his face, and he said these words. He said, thus far the master wrote, but he died. And after a few moments of silence, he picked up his baton again, and he cried out to the audience. But his disciples finished the work. I see a spiritual application there for us, don't you? In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the work that began with Jesus was passed on to the apostles. Jesus had been sent. The apostles had been sent. The baton had been passed. Now I want you to notice verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. That was the charge to the apostles, to be torchbearers for the gospel, to take it into all the world, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And you fast forward to the end of the book of Acts, and Luke leaves us with Paul preaching the gospel in Rome. He and his companions had been in Malta, they'd been in Derby and Lystra and all the stops along the way, and Acts chapter 28 is really what we see as the end of of the beginning because there is a sense in which we could say mission accomplished what Paul his companions the other apostles had been sent out to do had been done the gospel had been taken to Judea and Samaria to the remotest part of the earth all of those efforts by Paul the other apostles and disciples they had taken the message they had reached foreign territory remote territory and that is the end of the beginning really but it's not the end of the story turn to Acts chapter 29 if you will some of you tried it <laughs> what version of the Bible do you use that you don't have Acts chapter 29 actually I know that there's not an Acts chapter 29 in your Bible but there is an Acts chapter 29 I'm looking at it you are Acts chapter 29 you are the continuation of the story. 
You get that, don't you? Notice verses 30 and 31, the very end of the book of Acts. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. That is it. The end. You know, Luke doesn't tell us what happened to Paul. He doesn't tell us what happened after two years. Nothing about the growth of the church in Rome. If you like complete closure to a story, you don't really get it here. It's kind of like when you're watching your favorite TV show and it comes to the end, it fades to black and it says the end and you think, is that it? I mean, really? Surely there's more to the story, right? But the Bible is not unprecedented here in Acts when it talks about, you know, not finishing the story necessarily. Parable of the prodigal son doesn't necessarily tie up all loose ends. The book of Jonah certainly leaves us with some questions. So this is not unprecedented. But if you like complete, uh, complete closure, you're probably not going to get it. However, what we do see here at the very end of the book of Acts is a word that I love and I think is totally and completely appropriate. And it's the word unhindered. Isn't that appropriate? Isn't it highly appropriate that the book of Acts would end with the word unhindered? You can chain God's people, but you cannot chain the message. You can shackle Jesus' disciples, but you cannot shackle the gospel. No matter where a person of Jesus Christ is, no matter where his followers are, you may cut out their tongue even, but the gospel is going to be proclaimed. You cannot kill the gospel. No matter what effort you take, the gospel will be shared, it will be lived, and there is absolutely nothing that you can do about it. So how appropriate that the book of Acts would end with that word, that little word that means so much. We could actually add a verse 32 to the end here that reads to be continued, because that's really the way the book ends, right? To be continued. This is the end of the beginning but it's not the end of the story because the story continues and guess who gets to carry on the story that's right you and I we are the Acts 29 church at least we should be the book of Acts ends with a beautiful invitation will you join me Jesus is saying will you partner with me Jesus has been sent the apostles had been sent And we have been sent. Will you partner with Jesus to tell the story that has been written on your heart? Will you join? How many of you, I guess you'd have to be my age or a little bit older, know the story, uh, the movie, I think it was a book as well, The Never-Ending Story. Remember that? I used to love that movie when I was a kid. The Never-Ending Story is about Fantasia, a fantasy land that is being threatened by the nothing. The nothing is just a force of darkness that consumes everything in its path. And there's this little boy named Bastion who is being bullied and he sneaks into a bookstore and he steals a book, The Never-Ending Story, and he's reading it in the school attic. And as he's reading it, he learns that he's in the story. He finds himself supplanted in the story To the point that he begins thinking to himself, okay, what's real and what's not? I mean, is this really happening? Do they really need me? Does the kingdom really need me in order to save it from the nothing? Now, that's a very condensed, condensed version. But if you've read the book or seen the movie, 
you know that there's a lot of spiritual application being made. The gospel is the never-ending story. Similar to the book or the movie, the forces of darkness threaten to destroy everything in their path. The kingdom needs Christians, people like you and me. But make no mistake, this is not fantasy. This is reality. This is heaven and hell, spiritual DEFCON 1 type of stuff. You can choose to be a spectator rather than a participator, but it's going to be at the demise of the kingdom because we are all needed to join in this effort. We have to continue the story. Here's the deal. I'm sure you realize this, but we need a reminder every now and then. We are God's primary method. You understand that, don't you? If the story is going to be shared, if the story is going to continue to be told, then it's going to be told through people like you and I. Your story is God's story, and God is telling his story through you. Or at least he intends for that to happen. And every storyteller needs a medium and an audience. And the audience, of course, is all around us. Everywhere you look, you find an audience who needs to hear the gospel. The Bible, as we've said many times, tells a story. It is the story of redemption. But unfortunately, there are many people who have never read the story. There are many people who have never even picked up a Bible, or they pick it up and they start reading it, and they find that it's rather intimidating. Or like the Ethiopian eunuch, they start to read it, but they don't understand it, and they need someone to help walk them through it. I do realize that there are some people who pick up a Bible, they find that Gideon's Bible in the desk drawer at the hotel, and they read through it, and they say, oh, I need to be baptized. I, I know that probably happens, but that's very, very rare, I believe. Christians become Christians through other Christians. That's what mostly happens. In fact, Many, if not all of you sitting here this morning could attest to that. Christians become Christians because of other Christians, right? If this work is going to continue, then we've got to go to work. You know, we talked about this in, in the Yak class a couple of weeks ago. We talked about evangelism. We talked about how the problem is the church isn't really the agency by which the story of salvation is to be told, and it should be, but so often the church is not. And it was brought up in class, and, and I wholeheartedly agree, that it can be very intimidating. Maybe we need a, a practical guide as to how we can share the gospel with others. I hope to do that a little bit this morning. It certainly won't be exhaustive, but I hope that we can help a little bit this morning. I do believe that by and large we don't need a huge evangelism strategy or seminar as much as we need people more passionate about sharing the gospel. I think above all else, we just need Christians who understand that this is heaven and hell type of stuff, that every day there are people around us that are walking dead and we've got to do something about that. By and large, I don't think there's a passion for the lost like there should be, like we read about in the first century. Evangelism needs to be a priority and unfortunately so often it's not. I think about it like this. I am a coffee evangelist. I love coffee. I like sitting around a coffee table, drinking my coffee, talking about coffee with other coffee drinkers. I'm a coffee evangelist. I'm a hunting evangelist. I like to hunt. I like to talk to guys about hunting. I like to share my guns and my pictures. I'm a hunting evangelist. I am an evangelist for my family. You come up and ask me about 
my daughters or my son, and I will bore you to tears. Just be aware that if you ask how they're doing, I'm going to tell you everything I know, and then some. I'm an evangelist for my family. But as much as I love hunting, as much as I love my family, as much as I love coffee, I don't really sing the praises of hunting. I don't really sing about my family or about, about coffee. I don't really preach about the benefits of coffee or, or things like that. I can stand up here on Sunday and I can preach about Jesus with boldness and conviction, but I don't typically do that as much as I should in public. Why is it that I have no problem sharing about coffee or hunting or my family, but when it comes to sharing about Jesus, a little more difficult time with that? Why is it that I can stand up here and be bold and convicted, but when I get out among others who may not believe like I do, that I, I may be I'm a little more reserved? Why is that? Well, because I'm not going to get mocked or ridiculed or reviled for drinking coffee, probably. And if so, it's probably going to be jokingly. I'm not getting mocked or ridiculed or reviled because I love my family. But if I share the gospel, I could lose my job. If I share the gospel or talk about Jesus, I could turn off some of my friends. If I share the gospel or talk about Jesus, it might cause others to mock or ridicule or revile me. So what's the solution? Well, actually, it's pretty simple. Maybe not simple to practice, but pretty simple to talk about. At some point, we have to be able to stand up and say, Lord, since you have done this for me, give me the strength to do it for others. Make it a priority. Make it about Jesus. I want you to back up in Acts chapter 28. We've been talking about for the last year or so reading bigger chunks getting the context and not taking things out of context. So let's look at Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 1. It says, When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because, the heat, uh, because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited for a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. You know, if you look at Paul, especially through the book of Acts, what you see is him getting beat up, you see him getting betrayed, you see him getting banged up. Not everything goes according to plan, and yet every time Paul picks himself up and he continues to preach the gospel. If he's on dry land, he's preaching the gospel. If he's in shackles and chains, he's preaching the gospel. If he's on the open sea, he's preaching the gospel. If there's a viper hanging from his hand, he shakes it off and he preaches the gospel because that's what Paul did. That's who he was about. It was a priority for him because he knew where he had come from. Everything had changed in his life. And when everything changes in your life, from an encounter with Jesus, you can't help but make it a priority. You can't help but speak about it, right? That's who he was. 
That's what he was about. He was convinced that God was continuing to tell the story through him. In fact, there were many times when he told his story as part of a bigger story. Remember in 2 Corinthians 11 when he's forced to give his resume and he talks about all the times he's been beaten and, and shipwrecked and all those kind of things? Remember when he talks to Timothy about how he was a, a blasphemer and a persecutor and yet he became, he became a proclaimer because God had shown mercy to him. You remember his defense before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26? Here is Paul's story. Here's how it went. My life before Christ, how I came to Christ, and my life after coming to Christ. That's it. Now, I know there's details within that, but very simply put, that's how Paul shared his story. My life before Christ, how I came to Christ, my life after coming to Christ. And if you want an evangelism strategy, that might be the best one for us. Because we all share in this story. Paul's conversion story was great. It might be the best conversion story of all time. But you know what? All conversion stories are great. Every single one of them. Yours, mine, they're all great because they show the miraculous power of the gospel to change lives. So, if we're looking at sharing the gospel, we... We talk to our non-Christian friends and we say things like, here's how my life was before I became a Christian. My life before Christ looked like this. I, I have people come to me all the time and say, Chris, would you talk to my relative or, or my friend? I know you grow up, grew up in the Catholic church and, and you know, th my friend's Catholic. They, they, they would like to ask you some questions. Yeah, I can share my story. Sure, I can do that. You have a story to share as well. We all have a story about how we were living before we came to Christ and then how we came to Christ. And we share that with others as well. Why did you decide to obey the gospel? What pricked your heart? What was the last straw that made you say, I've got to do something different with my life? What did you think the first time you heard the gospel? How did it affect you? Did you turn away? Was this a long, drawn-out process? Like Paul, you share your experience in order to help others maybe come to an understanding and hopefully obey the gospel. And then you talk about your life after coming to Christ. How has your life changed? How different is your life now compared to when you were living as a lost soul? Talk to your non-Christian friend or your relative about the difference Jesus has made in your life. You know, Paul did that quite often. He often spoke about how he was the very opposite since he encountered Christ than he was before. He went from a persecutor to a proclaimer. He was the chief of sinners, he said. What a difference a life-changing encounter with Jesus can make. So share that. In terms of the gospel message, we could sum up our response this way. Apply it, live it, and share it. Paul shared his story. And why wouldn't he? Like I said, one of the greatest conversion stories, if not the greatest conversion story ever, but they're all important. Look at Acts 28, 23 and following. I want you to notice the interaction between Paul and the people. He says, when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. From morning until evening, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Now, the reason I bring this up is because it, it shows that Paul used his own story. 
we see him appealing to the bigger story of the law of Moses and prophets. Not only that, he inserts the people that he's talking about into the story, right? Because we all have a place in the story. If you're lost, you have a place in the story. It's not a great place, but you have a place in the story. But if you are a Christian, you have a place in the story, right? Keep reading. And when they, had, when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And listen to the parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke, spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Paul says, Listen, you're in this story. I know that you're, you're standing here in Rome right now as Jewish leaders, but that's not really where you're at. You're in this story you are who the prophet spoke of and you're going to deny this opportunity you're going to really let this pass he says you're who Isaiah was talking about Paul takes the scriptures and applies them to those who he is interacting with he says this is where you're at because we always find ourselves in the story whether we're outside of Christ or whether we're in Christ, whether we are Christians or non-Christians, we all have a place in the story. And isn't it interesting how Paul pulls these dissenters into his story to show them their need for Jesus? And it worked, at least for some. For others, unfortunately, it didn't. But Paul was sharing his story to get to the bigger story, the bigger narrative. And when that happens, some will listen some will ponder and some will even change and some will not. Others may be highly offended and turn away, but for Paul, it was worth the risk. Is it worth the risk for us? I'm not sure it always is, unfortunately. Just being honest. For myself, sometimes I don't have it in balance. And I feel bad for that. And I know that for many Christians, it's not always worth the risk. Which is unfortunate because there are three realities here that we have to understand. Number one, hell exists. It just does. You can't get around that. Hell is a hot topic right now. And there are some with even in the church that have done away with the idea or concept of hell. And don't believe that it is eternal. But it exists. Jesus talks about it. Scripture is clear. Hell is a reality and unfortunately it will be a reality for many who choose to live their life apart from Christ there are people that we claim to love that are heading in a hellish direction if we really love them we will share the gospel with them secondly heaven exists you know that's the beautiful thing about this no one has to go to hell as you've heard me say before if you go to hell it'll only be because you had to step over the cross of Christ hell exists but heaven exists as well I'm going to heaven, are you? I'm going there. And I want to take as many people with me as possible. And one of the reasons is because I hate the devil so much that I don't want him to have any kind of success in bringing a soul over to his side. And finally, I exist. Do you believe that you exist? Do you? Yep, you're real. Poke the person next to you, I think you'll find the same thing. You exist. Why do you exist? 
Why are you here? To come and fill a pew every Sunday and put in your time? Was your baptism a life insurance policy that you can go back to and say, okay, I'm good. There's my fire insurance. I'm okay. Why are you here? Saved people save people. Converted sinners make the best preachers. We have a job and we have an opportunity. You were not saved just to keep yourself out of hell. You have a responsibility and an opportunity. There was a Christian missionary who was also an eye doctor, and he was, he was over in China, and this gentleman had come to him whose eyes were so riddled with cataracts he couldn't see, and he had not been able to see for a very long time. And this eye surgeon was able to remove those cataracts and allow him for the first time in a very long time to see. It was some days later that this missionary, this eye doctor, was looking out the window, and he saw that man that he had healed pulling a long rope with about 12 other guys holding on to it, and he was leading them to the eye doctor because they couldn't see either. As Christians, that's our responsibility. We take that rope and we lead as many people to Christ as we can because we know what he has done for us. We were blind, but now we see. So to be in Acts chapter 29 church, here's what it's going to take. Asking a question. This is an all-important question that every church should ask of itself and that every member should ask of itself concerning the church they're a part of. What's shaping our church? What's shaping our church? Is it issues? Is our church only about women's role and instrumental music and those kind of things? Are those things unimportant? No. Is that all we should be about? Absolutely not. We've got to be about more. What is shaping your church? Is it banging the drum? I get disheartened nowadays. I look at Christian lectureships, and they're all the same. They just change the titles of them. It's all about just affirming what we already believe so we can pat ourselves on the back. Is that all we think about? Is just affirming our faith? Is that important? Sure it is. Is that the whole of our existence? No. Are we just about banging the drum? What is shaping our church? Is it an inward focus? Are all we concerned about is maintaining what we have and what we've built? What is shaping our church? Is it member driven? Are we seeking to reach those that are around us or just fill the pews with bodies? Are we more concerned about souls in the kingdom or just those sitting in a pew? What is shaping our church? You see, a church can be about a lot of things. But if its primary purpose is not Jesus and the gospel, it is not scriptural. It's just not. You are not a church of Christ. You are not a church that belongs to Christ. You are not a scriptural church if the whole of your existence is not Jesus and the gospel. Period. Exclamation point. And to be people who are about the gospel means that we have a primary responsibility, and that is what? Sharing the gospel, right? The question is not, have you obeyed the gospel? The question is, are you obeying the gospel? Because you never stop obeying the gospel. It's not a one-time decision. It is a continuation throughout the rest of your life, something that we'll talk about more tonight. But if we're going to carry out Christ's mission, it's going to take you and I investing in the work 
and making sure that we're an Acts 29 church. So here's what I want you to do as we close. From this day forward, I want you to pray for this church. Maybe you do that already. If you don't, please do. And in that prayer for the Oldham Lane Church, I want you to pray for yourself. Pray for opportunity. Pray that you'll take advantage of those opportunities. Pray for wisdom and, and conviction and compassion. Because if we're not about making and growing disciples first and foremost, we're not doing our job. We're not carrying out our responsibility. Here's the prayer that I'd like you to pray. And you can phrase it any way you want, but here's what it needs to include. Here is the prayer. God, give me an open door. God, give me an open mouth. And God, give me an open heart. Pray that we will be an Acts 29 church. We can help you this morning. David's going to come and lead us in a song. If you're ready to obey the gospel and continue obeying the gospel, if you obeyed the gospel but you veered off track and you need prayers and support of this church family, if you're ready to study the Bible with someone, if you have been a spectator and not a participator, whatever your need is, we want to help you get back on track. God needs you. We need you. So come now as we stand and as we sing.